We need to do the work to keep our eyes healthy and fixed on the light of Jesus. What we need is not some other sign, but the spiritual ability to see the sign that God has already given, Jesus Christ. We need to see Jesus every day of our lives. We need to move into the light of the gospel every day. We can do this by asking for the Holy Spirit to come and open our eyes. The Spirit will work to reveal the light of Jesus to us so that we may believe in Him and grow in our faith. In this week's sermon, John preached on Luke 11, 27 to 36, where Jesus teaches about the light within. In the previous week, Kelly preached on Luke 11, 14 to 26, where Jesus drives out a demon and is, and is accused of doing so by the power of Satan. Today, we'll answer questions about both sermons. Stay tuned from Glen Allen Bible Church. I'm Matt Marone. I'm John Vanderbilt. I'm Beth Moss. And I'm Kelly Brady, and this is episode number 180 of The Next Level. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. 180 episodes. Wow. 180. Are we doing good? Doing good. That's amazing. I forgot we took last week off, though. I mean, I don't feel I don't feel like there's been a week in between. <laughs> we I feel like we've been grinding. We've been grinding away. It does feel we like just got to get that number up, yes, 180, right. 181. Uh, <laughs> we got to reach 200 by the end of the year, folks. That's right. <laughs> Did you have a good Thanksgiving? I'm doing the math. I don't yeah. know. It's not going to work. <laughs> I had a good, yeah. I, I had a decent Thanksgiving. Yeah. It was, it was strange yeah, to not different. be with your family in the big groups. And oh, you guys weren't with your families? So I you, mean, wait, so you must not be governors. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Wow. Spicy today. Matt's spicy. <laughs> yeah, we normally get together with my siblings and my parents and then all the grandkids. And it's like, there's like 34, 35 of us. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not, I think my, some of my family got together, um, but not, not everybody. Yeah. Kind of decentralized, but mm-hmm. we connected. And I think that was kind of true for a lot of folks. But I know some traveled and some were with family, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of the same for us. We've got a big family too, kind of like you, John. And most of us are around here. So rather than some of us be with mom and dad, it was yeah. like an all or nothing. So we just went over Zoom and played had, some games. Yeah. I had a, f- a friend who was like, they were going to travel and he comes from a little bit of a bigger family. And some of the family was like, absolutely not for the sake of mom and dad. You know, we're not going to travel. And so it was like, well, do we still go? Is it like we don't love them as much? <laughs> or like we need a break or whatever. So they wind up all not deciding yeah. not to travel. But mm-hmm. it's 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 hard, man. Yeah. I thought attendance would be down Sunday with Thanksgiving. It was a strong attendance. It was. Like, Did you have yeah. two services or three? Two, two. Okay. Yeah. We're back to three this Sunday for okay. the listeners. Mm-hmm. Eight thirty, ten o'clock, and eleven fifteen. But attendance was really strong. I some of the imp- largest in-person attendance we've had since last March. Yeah, it was. I was surprised. And it all kind of happened at like Saturday night. Saturday night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, like the numbers yeah. shot up for, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for signups. Yeah. yeah. I would imagine you'll see that, that that's kind of how it'll go. Yeah. Well, I don't know. That's how we'd do it. it we, we might wait till Sunday morning. Well, it, it, there were some that wait till. And that's fine. I mean, we keep yeah. the number, the capacity, and we're ready. Mm-hmm. We can be ready up to it. So. I know with a lot of people, they making a decision in on Wednesday yeah. is tough because or Tuesday when it goes out because yeah. you know you don't know what's going to happen in the life of your family and right. if somebody right and some are it's are finishing up quarantine and they want a yeah. clear test or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Weird world we live in. It is. I feel like the congregation is doing excellently. As far as wearing masks, mm-hmm. staying socially distanced, we could always do better. I, sure. I'll admit, I, I think that there's some, I mean, I don't mean to harp, but there's some lingering out in the Welcome Center, which I totally understand, but uh, we just need to keep social distance. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm encouraged. Um, uh, just, I can hear people singing and it's really nice, even though we all have our masks on and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I can get, you know, with our microphone set up so we can hear with yep. our in-ear monitors, you can really hear mm-hmm. people singing. It's just really sweet. I wish everyone could hear what I hear. Yeah. yeah. It's a really... Do funny. you hear what <laughs> <laughs> Kelly's been singing all day. Christmas up there. <laughs> I'm so ready. 
Christmas carols are coming, Speaking right, man? Speaking of that, Advent, yeah. right? We started we yesterday, but we are starting it next Sunday. I wondered about that. I yeah. thought Somebody yesterday was Advent. Somebody was like, hey, did we just miss it? Or <laughs> I thought the same thing. We must have missed it, but we watched the whole service. Well, it's funny because on in person, Kelly yeah. did the intro, ah. and I mean, the, the tr- truth be told, we, re- we recorded last Sunday's sermon we 11 days ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. So because of Thanksgiving, we had to do everything earlier. Uh-huh. So we recorded that. And, and I don't think either you or I. It wasn't on our radar. It wasn't even on the radar to talk about Advent being the week later. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but then in the live services, Kelly got up there and, and we showed the, the graphic for what, what Advent's going to be, a thrill of hope. Oh, fun. Uh, I knew it was coming. <laughs> Let's see. That's two. I'm going to make a tally. Let's see, see how many we, ways how many you ding. can work it in. <laughs> every time. Yeah, every time you do it. It's like a radio show. Ding. Oh, that was off. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's all right. <laughs> that's fine. So, uh, so one of the things that we're doing for Advent this year is we are having, uh, for, for music, we are having a different instrument each Sunday or right. different instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, b- since, we're not, since we won't be singing our full like buffet of songs, we're still limiting our, our songs you mm-hmm. know, for obvious COVID reasons. Um, we will sing an, a, a Christmas carol this week, but, but one of the things that we thought we would do um, just to have something special, something a little bit extra, it, we're going to add some instruments. So mm-hmm. this weekend... We have a harp player coming. Ooh. Harpist. And she is a harpist and she is fantastic. She's a PhD. <laughs> she a harpy? Like, she is a, a fantastic harpist performer. extraordinaire. Um, and so, yeah, she's going to be joining us. Um, awesome. Just the for the live services, you'll have the new instrument. Yes. yes mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, uh, and then in the coming weeks, we have some other stuff happening. We have Spanish. Some c- some Spanish guitar duo stuff happening. Oh, cool. We have some uh, string chord or trio happening mm-hmm. and all of these are in the live service in the not live on the stream on so Sundays. there's a plug to sign up early and get services. your you spot uh-huh. we're anticipating uh full advent services so Ooh. plenty of options please sign up sign you up know what early. else we're doing for advent we're growing a beard i've noticed that when you came it's on, nice. our kids were all like, "Wow, Kelly, for what stage are you in right it's now? Amazing. Is it the itchy? Is are you past the itchy? He's got to be the, past the itchy. Is it the comfortable? It actually is soft, long yeah. enough. It changes direction. Like I'll wake up and I've got bed beard. You got to get all the product in the. She does not comb. like it. So she doesn't like it. And, and the reason I bring it up is so I'm growing a beard <laughs> because I'm going to do a first person narrative sermon. Uh, the gospel from the perspective of Joseph for oh. our Christmas Eve services. Something I've never done. You can pray for the congregation. Registration's plummeting at the moment. <laughs> oh, no. It's going up. Everybody's got to. You, you, okay, listen, wait. You're, you're going to be in costume, right? Yeah. Costume. Okay. And we built a little set. Yes. Joseph's wood shop. I'm so excited. I'm legitimately so excited. You know I am. I keep telling you. It's going to be hard. It's going to be great. Not to... Uh, the to, costume to is fantastic. Oh, my gosh. The good. The set is the legit. The set is legit. I've got to say, it looks the, great. And you've memorized. Okay. Uh, you've been work, I'm memorizing. You've been working, working on it. Working on it. <laughs> and I've, wow. got a, I've actually got an acting coach from Wheaton College. Said he would no come way. help me work on some stage presence stage stuff. stuff. It is a musical. It is it's a musical, <laughs> so there will be. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Can you believe we convinced him to do this? Oh. I, I mean, we were just talking about all Next the like, year, 2021, I'm do Mary. <laughs> Mary, did you know? See, he was wow. just, he was waiting on it. He was easy. planning that one. All right, we better get into it. <laughs> My word. So if, if this isn't the most exciting advent you've ever. Uh, this is exciting. Right? Mm-hmm. So sign up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. we'll be sending out. Information on registering and all that in in the next week or so. Yeah. So will there be something for the online viewers in terms of Advent? Yes, we are oh, going. Yeah. yeah, we're going to record the live service on the twenty third and uh, release it for folks for leading up to Christmas. So, but I mean the weekly Advent. Oh will yeah, that the be regular Sunday services. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Yeah. Totally. Yep. And just to clarify, uh, Kelly's dramatic piece will be 
for Christmas Eve Eve and Christmas Eve services. Yeah, not 23 on, and 24. Not yeah. on like the Sunday after. The, the 20th Sunday and the 27th will stay in, in our Advent series, but it'll be right. different mm-hmm. than the 23rd, 24th. Unless, of course, the the response is just overwhelming. <laughs> yes, then I mean, we may have an encore. Well, it would be overwhelming. I, he needs a standing ovation. With Hamilton. <laughs> I mean, right? <laughs> I, let's just be honest. Blue Man Group has been so in Chicago for twenty five years. We may have to have a lottery system for these tickets. So painful. <laughs> A lottery system for tickets. People are going to be downloading that app. I got the lottery. <laughs> Talking like Hamilton. I, I won the lottery. I won the lottery. I know. I get GBC admin tickets. We're going to see Kelly. We're going to see it. People are taking the train out from the city. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Here we go. Question number one. So uh, we're going to cover two weeks of sermons. We have Kelly's, uh, since we took a week off, we have Kelly's sermon from two weeks ago and John's sermon from a couple days ago or yesterday. So uh, question number one. Kelly Sermon. Here we go. This is from two weeks ago. Kelly mentioned how he has been surprised in studying Luke about the prominence of the demonic in the gospel. Does that affect his view of how prevalent the demonic is in our world slash lives? My gut reaction is absolutely. Yeah, it affects it. You know, I hope that when we read the word of God, um, it changes how we see the world and our impacts, how we see the world. And um, so absolutely. I just doing a quick count of chapters one through eleven. There are five stories in eleven chapters, five fairly large portions of the narrative uh, having to do with the demonic. And um, so, I, you know, when I read it, I would say I would go so far as to say, you know, the devil hasn't quit. <laughs> um, he's still active, and I think he must still be active in much the same way that he was active in the first century. Now, I've said before that I think because of God's presence on earth, Jesus is God. So because of God's presence on earth, I think he provoked demonic reactions in ways that we certainly do not. Such that when he walked into a room or walked into a crowd, uh, the demonic presence was, was provoked. Yeah, as in like they they cry one out. Of their first reactions yes. is to acknowledge him. Yeah, who yeah. he is and right. Yeah, yeah, and fear. Oftentimes, the demonic response is one of fear. Don't torture us. Don't send us away. Uh, recognizing his authority over them. So, um, but at the same time, so I think the demonic responded to Jesus uniquely because of who Jesus is. But I, I just don't. We certainly can't read the Gospels and. And think, well, that was then, I guess you could, you could say that was then and it's different now. But I I think that would probably be part of the deception the devil would love us to fall into, is to think that, well, that was a first century reality that isn't a 21st century reality. So I, absolutely, it affects the way I I view the Gospels uh, and the world. The Gospels affect the way I I view the world. And I think uh, demonic demonic activity is still very prevalent. I think that... um, Jesus himself says that Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy. And so we see, we know in particular, he, he steals the word of God when it's sown. So when we hear the word of God, um, part of Satan's activity is to undermine it taking root in our lives and affecting our lives. That's Mark 4, 15. The destruction that he reaps is the destruction of relationships, whether our relationship with God or one another. I think of the division in families and in communities. I mean, that's all part of the demonic activity in the world. Um, uh, he takes life. I think of the abortion issue in America, um, in the taking of life. I think that's a part of demonic activity. He's a deceiver. I think this is, uh, he, he's described as the father of lies. I think anytime deception is present, when we when we're not living in the light or when we're believing falsehoods about ourselves or others, it, um, it's a work of the enemy. So do you, what do you see as maybe Luke's, um, uh, the inclusion of so many demonic stories from Luke? Um, cause we know from the Bible, right? That, that there are a lot of things to write about that Jesus did. Um, many things that weren't recorded. Um, why do you think he, he talks so much about this? Well, I think he's he's reporting. Remember, he's collecting. He was not an eyewitness, and so he's collecting stories from eyewitnesses. And I think that's what he's hearing, is just the preponderance of 
Jesus's victory over and authority over demonic presence. So I, I think it's part of what he's running into as a biographer, so to speak. Yeah. So are you saying, I, I hear that, you know, the devil hasn't quit and all of that, but what we're seeing in Luke are more overt examples of the demonic, whereas you're using an example, a current day example of abortion. So would you say the overtness is because the demonic is responding to Jesus's presence? Maybe we don't see it quite as overtly because it's a little bit under the surface. I do think that is the case. Yes. I, I think demonic possession is real still in the 21st century. I think Jesus provoked it. Mm-hmm. His presence provoked it in a way that, you know, when I walk into a crowd, I don't provoke the same response. Um, you know, there is a story in the book of Acts, I'm drawing a blank where it is, where demons actually respond to an exorcist. Uh, Jesus, I know him. Paul, I know. I don't know you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so and the demons are... they overtake him after that? What'd you say? Don't, then, then, then don't they and overtake... Then they beat him. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> uh, and so I do think that Jesus provoked a response that the average Christian does not provoke, mm-hmm. and understandably so. So Jesus's ministry was unique. And he provoked, he provoked unique responses and Mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's, we'll not run into it here. I think we will. And I think in, in certain situations, certain cultures, I think of, Mm -hmm. um, my family and I vacationed in Southern Florida over the summer and it's, um, um, Key West and it's an, it's an area steeped in voodoo culture. In fact, uh, there's a section of the, of their cemetery in Key West kind of dedicated to to a Haitian population, and there are, are voodoo elements all over the cemetery. So I think when you when you have um, a culture, com, you know, steeped in the demonic, then you're you're gonna you're gonna witness more of it as well. So mm-hmm. I do think it's probably more subtle here, but just as active. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to question number two. Once again, about Kelly's sermon from two weeks ago. My question relates to Kelly's sermon last week in Luke eleven twenty three. Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me. When, if ever, would it be appropriate for a church to make that kind of statement? For example, would it be appropriate or inappropriate for a church to say to someone or to a group of people, if you don't believe what we believe the Bible says about Jesus, then you are the enemy? Um... Yeah, you know, I wrestled with this one. I, I, I can't imagine uh, labeling a person um, a, my spiritual enemy. Like, Americans have enemies. Um, countries, citizens of other countries, and countries that want to do us harm. America, as a population, um, has enemies, but. Uh, Paul himself said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In, in other words, we have an enemy that is spiritual. And so putting a person in that category, are y'all following this? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we can have political enemies as Americans, but Paul's really clear in Ephesians 6 that, that the, the nature of our enemy is spiritual. So I would be really hesitant mm-hmm. to look across at someone and say, you are you are my enemy because you're against Christ. I would say to a person, it seems to me you're influenced by the enemy of Christ, who is my enemy. It seems like you're influenced by Satan. But I would be really hesitant to label anybody my enemy, a person my enemy. I have spiritual enemies, Satan, the demonic host, those are God's enemies. And some of the lines that Jesus draws are not <clears throat> are for Jesus to draw, right. not necessarily mm-hmm. for us to draw yeah. as his followers. I know that's nuanced and difficult sometimes, but you know he's he's looking at a group of people differently than we are to look at a group of people, yeah. right? Yep. And there's certain groups of people that he made really clear lines on that they are. I think of religious leaders, you know, broods of vipers. Um, you know, people far from him, against him, people that he he treated differently than sort of the rest of the populations that he interacted with. And so some of Jesus's actions are not prescri- 
prescriptive for yeah. us. Yeah. Um, they're examples to us of the difference between who he is and who he is against, right? And so I think, you know, often um, churches want to draw those lines or Christians as a whole want to draw lines somewhat like Christ. Uh, we think we're being like Christ when we, when we do those sorts of things. But even if we were to think of, um, I'm trying to think of a group, uh, you know, a different, some people who are following a different religion than we are, I think our posture t- towards them should be one of hopefulness that that they'll come to the light, yep. not one of exclusion mm-hmm. and and calling out as an as an enemy and saying you are you are separate from us forever. We see you as an enemy mm-hmm. because we've the, gotten to that trouble before. Yes, right? the <laughs> crusades, the crusades, for example. Right. And and the minute you you label some a person your enemy, then you action follows from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone labels me an enemy of them, so in there are Islamist leaders who have labeled Christians their enemy. So if someone labels me their enemy, we know really clear from Jesus, we're to pray for those. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're love to love your enemies, them, love them, pray for and those pray for pers- those who persecute us. Yeah. People, Paul said in Philippians three that some are enemies of the cross, mm-hmm. and so I wasn't, I wouldn't hesitate to say to somebody. I think you're you're an enemy, or you're acting as an enemy of the cross. Um, but I wouldn't want them to discern from that that I'm saying you're my enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I want them to see me caring for them sacrificially. In, in other words, John, you bring this up really well. The church has historically made mistakes, and even in modern America, of drawing really hard and fast lines about us versus them. In mm-hmm. There's a there's a great book called um, Christ and Culture. Yeah, and I'm drawing a Nibor. blank. Niebuhr. Niebuhr. Yeah. Niebuhr wrote it, and it's ultimately it should be us for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, Christ came for us, and we were the enemies of God because of our sinfulness. So, I- anybody who is an enemy of the cross, I am still to be for them, mm-hmm. to serve them, lay and my it, life down. In Niebuhr's book, I mean it. <clears throat> he makes a really clear thing that we are to look at culture of what we are to accept, what we are to reject, and then what we can redeem in culture. And so what we're not saying is that everybody's fine. (laughs) Exactly. We're not saying that. (laughs) What we are saying is that our posture towards, or what I'm saying, our posture towards people should be to say, okay, there are parts of culture that we reject. And there are people who are, Rejecting the gospel and enemies of the gospel. Right. But our posture towards them is to pray for them, to hope uh, for conversations with them. To serve them. Exactly. Lay our lives down for them. And I don't think it's helpful for our evangelistic witness to ever, ever, that's a strong word. I can't imagine. I can't imagine uh, (laughs) drawing a, a, a line or a box around a person or a certain group of people that it would help our evangelistic witness in the world to have drawn those lines. I think about the worst of the worst is difficult because, I mean, you know, those who worship Satan, I've never met one. Right, Mm -hmm. exactly. So uh, maybe there is some sort of category that I'm not thinking of that, whatever. But, I, you know, for the most part, I think our posture should be one of, of prayer, hope, um, mm-hmm. pursuit, service, love, respect, no matter, no matter what. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's a, it's a great question because there's some harshness in how Jesus deals with people that, that sometimes we need to get our, our, under, our minds around an understanding that we're not Jesus, that we're not Jesus. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, right. and, um, I think we just need to be really careful the way that Jesus deals with people who should have been following him or ushering in his presence to the people, you know, the priests, the Pharisees of his day. It's, there's no category for that in our world. After uh, Advent, we'll be back in Luke chapter 12, and it's all the woes to the hypocrites, Mm -hmm. the religious leaders, um, for this very reason. And he's very hard on them, Mm -hmm. very hard. And and as Christians, we can we can say what Jesus says, 
we can teach the woes out of Luke 12, woe to you who do this, who say this, but act this way, the hypocrites. We can say that and we can let those who may be acting hypocritical receive Jesus's words, but there's no reason for us to label people. If people ask me, do you think this behavior is consistent with Christianity? I would say no or yes, or I'd give my opinion, but I don't have to play the Holy Spirit in anybody's life. And it's certainly not something that we would lead with as Never. a church, right? No. And I, that's... There's so many other good lead-ins. <laughs> right. Like, what, what, what needs do you have that we can care for? Right. Yeah. yeah. That's great. That's a good word. All right. Let's, uh, let's move into questions about John's sermon from this past Sunday. Question three. John talked about the darkness being inside us and needing to see more of Jesus. Jesus said, See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Luke 11.35. How can I see more of the light? That's a great question. Um, that, that line, I, 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 I used it, or it is a warning, and I talked about it being a warning to us. I mean, there's this see to it is... A directive. A directive. Yeah. It's a command. Look at your life and see to it that what's inside you, what you're taking inside your eyes and it's filling your body is not darkness, right? So how do we see to it, I think, is the is the question. And in Luke 11, he doesn't say this specifically. He doesn't spell out what that darkness is or what that darkness looks like. But I think we can pretty confidently say that Jesus is talking about sin, right? The, the sin that clouds our eyes, um, unrepentant sin, the, in, the type of sin that, oh, here we go. Yeah. Careful the video you open. <laughs> YMCA. Like though. Yeah. I was like, show. all right. The game show. <laughs> Kelly's now watching the prices. It his, sounded like his that. He's super into this. His questions Jeopardy. are over for his sermon. <laughs> he was playing online games. I'm just doing research. <laughs> he's uh-huh. selling stuff. Whatever, man. He's got a business to run. <laughs> Snap to it. <laughs> Okay, so anyway, I think what Jesus is talking about here is uh, is sin, unrepentant sin, in a, entangled in sin, wallowing in sin, choosing sinful activities and behaviors rather than life-giving and righteous activities that would would open our eyes to to the light. So, uh, in response to the question, so how do we see more of this light? Well, one of the things I talked about on Sunday was we pray to the Holy Spirit to to come into our lives and to help us see the light. That's really the, the verse I use for the benediction. Second Corinthians, um, talks about second Corinthians four talks about, um, that we are able to see with our eyes, the light of Christ because of what the Holy spirit has done in our lives. So that's, that's one. The other, the other things I would offer, um, would be to avoid sin, (laughs) resist, uh, temptation, which, you know, there's several different, ideas and strategies around that, but having accountability is probably the biggest thing in your life. You know, if you're, if you are trying to run by yourself and avoid sin, good luck. You need people to run Mm -hmm. with you to help you, uh, avoiding sin. So whether that be a partner, accountability partner or a group, or just people who know you and you know them, Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's often times where there's specific wounded, woundedness, wounds that people have in their life that can lead to different types of sin, entanglements. Um, and so I think it's important for people to deal with, with the wounds that you have that lead to those sinful behaviors. Um, feed yourself, satisfy your appetite on holy things instead of sin. Um, I would offer the caution of idle time. I talked about it a little bit on Sunday, just that the uh, COVID season has given us an abundance of free time, right? Like, um, I mean, there's been weeks where we'll look at the family calendar and be like, we're not running around like crazy right mm-hmm. now. Or like, there's no event, you know, your Apple calendar, no events for today. You're like, okay. Um, I mean, those, the, the idle time, the free time that we have can be places where we, we make bad choices. Mm-hmm. Um, second, I, I would offer confessing your sin. If you're entangled in sin, you know, the, the start is, is to confess that. I think this is something that we've been uh, working on here at Glen Island Bible Church is creating 
uh, times and places where um, when we're asking God for things, we're also confessing. Um, I can think of a few times in um, different prayer meetings, this even this year where, you know, we're praying for healing for somebody and they've said, I just, I need to confess some stuff before we keep going in this prayer right now. And, um, and so, you know, confessing our sin, finding a person, a group, a pastor, somebody that you can talk with. And then finally, I, I, I offered just, you know, foster some disciplines that help strengthen you in your fight for righteousness. So whether that be scripture reading, uh, regular prayer time, being in a small group, getting involved in a prayer group, you know, all those sorts of disciplines um, can help, I think, strengthen strengthen us to so that when when we see sin or when we see dark and we're not as drawn to it, maybe because we've we've strengthened our, ourselves, our faith is strong. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have anything else to add. Well, I just um, it was actually you picked a good quote at the beginning of the podcast because it was one of the things that stood out to me in your sermon was your huh. use of the word healthy and keep your eyes healthy. Yeah. So it's a lot of the same concepts, but if you think about what's physically healthy, you can also transfer that to what's spiritually healthy. Yeah, that's that's going to bring the light in. So prayer is going to be spiritually healthy. Not praying is going to bring you that other direction. You talked about idle time and COVID sitting on the couch and eating and baking cookies every day. That's what we did in March. Um, that's <laughs> this not, won't last very this long. This won't last very long. <laughs> Then we realized we had to make a change, right? We can't make this our, our lifestyle. Our new life. Same thing with the spiritual. What is That's our true. what That's is true. our spiritual diet? Is it healthy or is it unhealthy? So That's a great word. Here I found I was looking for a quote. The reason why you do not have contentment in the things of the world is not that you do not have enough of them. Mm-hmm. The reason is that they are not things proportional to that immortal soul of yours that is capable of knowing God. C.S. Lewis. No. No, it sounded like Lewis. Jeremy Burroughs, whom I've never heard of before. Mm. But I just think of uh, choosing light and choosing darkness. I most often choose darkness out of thanklessness or discontent. Mm. Mm -hmm. When When I'm cultivating thankfulness, I mean, I mean, actively saying thanks for this, for that, for the other. And it, it, it just, this, this quote struck me so deeply. The reason I would struggle with discontent in things is not because I don't have enough of them, but because nothing is large enough to fill the immortal nature mm. that I've been created with, a nature that can know God. So I loved it. It's a good quote. Mm-hmm. That is a good word. All right. Let's go to our final question. Question number four. I'm trying to better understand our choices as it relates to Jesus, both in regards to our salvation and also in our everyday lives. Can you help me? Um, no, I can't. <laughs> but Jesus can. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we can we can certainly talk about this. I think you guys all probably have things to offer on this, but um, you know, it was interesting to to think about and talk about choice it, that in relation to the scripture because it's it's kind of like this like buzzword, like mm-hmm. sure. Um, especially You're right that we love choice. We Americans do. love it. We do. Um, we love choice. And um, that's why the quarantine is just killing us. Oh, yeah, it's totally We're being told what to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was talking with Grant actually after the service and he's like, man, that was super helpful for me because we hadn't talked about my about the sermon. He hadn't heard it. And um, he's just, you know, thinking about choice and then looking at Jesus as like a, how a parent deals with children. I mean, it's really in a lot of ways what Luke 11 really looks like is this. The, you know, uh, these, this crowd and his disciples kind of acting like children towards him and he growing frustrated in some moments and then, and then still just loving them and helping them and trying different ways to talk about who he was. And, um, it's, it can be a little bit intimidating to talk about choice in the, in church because, well, do we choose God or does God choose us? I mean, there's all these like loaded questions when you start talking about and thinking about, choice. And, um, and I, I tried my best at, on Sunday to, to sort of narrow, um, 
narrow our thinking about about choice into kind of two categories, right? Like how we choose. If you haven't, if you've been resisting Jesus, now's a great time to make a choice. I love what you say. If you feel a desire, yeah, to it, to cry out to Jesus, do it. Now's the time. Um, and then secondly, choosing kind of this everyday following of Jesus. Um, and so I get where the question kind of kind of comes from. Let's talk about salvation first. So I would say that ultimately we don't choose to be saved. It's not a, a blanket free choice that we get as believers um, in, in its purest sense of the, of the word choice. Um, I think the, the way to say it is, and I think, Kelly, you've been helpful in this for our church, is just is participate, right? We don't get to choose it, but we'd still participate in it. So the, the saving work uh, is done by God, but we participate in it. So God's gift to us is salvation. It's made clear to us by him through his Holy Spirit, and we, we then acknowledge, acknowledge it, and then we accept it. Um, in his his work in our lives to save us. So, in if you think about that, there is a sense of um, then you know then the follow up question is well how much can we resist? How long can we wait? And and um, it's probably a, a discussion and for another time. But there there is definitely a a part of us that's participating in that work where we're resisting and then we're turning. At some point, we're turning from our resisting. Um, we're, um, we're doing what Jesus says, right? Jesus preached this message of repent and believe, and that's why we preach the same thing, right? There's a, a turning that we do from pursuit of worldliness and sinfulness and a turning to pursue righteousness. Um, and, and so in that moment of turning and accepting, um, we would say in, in, you know, in this church, that's the moment you're saved, right? In the moment you're born again, there's actually probably some work done even before you acknowledge and, and turn that's being done through the Holy Spirit in your life. But that's what we would put a marker there in somebody's life and say, you know, that's a moment where you have been born again, you've moved from death to life. Um, it's the moment we, we would use the word justified, right? You're justified now before God. So God no longer sees you as separated from him, as a, as a sinner, he sees you as cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You're justified. I say it every time I say it, but it's, it's the idea of just as if I'd never sinned. That's what God mm. sees us as. So, so at that, there's this partic- participation um, that we have in salvation. So we listen, we obey, we repent, we believe. Um, but then there's also this this part of participating in salvation through evangelism. So God does the saving work, but he also uses us to share the good news with others. Um, I think I would be, I think I'd be totally out of line to say, I understand completely where God, um, our full involvement in all of this, like what does full participation look like? What is, what is our, the, the full way that God uses us in evangelism? I don't think it's fair to say, right? I mean, I think we need to be careful about um, overstating our participation and understating our participation, right? Like, yeah. we know we participate. To what extent? I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. It's the same with prayer. When we pray for people to be saved, mm-hmm. did our prayer save them? Well, no. But should we have prayed for their salvation? Well, yeah. So where it starts and ends and, and all that is it's it's difficult. It's a theologians for thousands of years right. have have fought and battled and still are fighting and battling and, today and end up at different totally, totally different, different ends of the spectrum completely of, and yeah. love and accept each other and are right. going to celebrate in heaven together someday. Right. Um, One of the most helpful things for me is uh, thinking about. Um, just examples that we have in everyday life that kind of parallel. Do you guys have any kind of examples um, that can at least let us know? Like I can, I can kick it off, right? So, um, yeah, I, I've heard it argued that uh, well, if you know, if I don't have a hundred percent free will choice to choose God or not, then it couldn't possibly be love because love, in implicit and inher- and inherent in love, is is uh, ha- must be 
the possession for me to, to reject or, or to say yes, right? Like, and I used to kind of think that for a while. And then once I had kids, mm-hmm. um, I realized, like, that's actually not true at all. <laughs> like, because one of the deepest, if not the deepest love I know of is this inherent deep love for my children that I could not turn off. I could not, uh, at, at least at this point, I, I don't see how I could just choose not to love them. Even mm-hmm. no matter what mm-hmm. they did, it's unconditional, right? Like, but that doesn't make the love. Le- mm-hmm. It's actually one of the deepest loves, if not the mm-hmm. deepest love that I have experienced in life. Mm. And I don't seem to have a choice in it at all. It yeah. just mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. It just is. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, for me, um, that's a relationship that I can look at in my everyday life mm-hmm. and think like, oh, okay, that that kind of makes sense. I can I can start to put the pieces like you said you, you, I, you can't say that you can fully explain it mm-hmm. how it works but but for me that's an example mm-hmm. where that helps give me some insight into my relation my vertical relationship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i appreciate the question and would start i take a different tact uh, and did so in my philosophy courses when i taught at cod uh, john did a really good job listing all the areas in which we have choice you can make an equally long list of items mm-hmm. where we have no choice mm-hmm. and we're just stuck. In other words, uh, Americans in particular have come to worship the notion of free will, mm-hmm. but it, as defined and broadly understood in American culture, it does not exist anywhere right. in any form or fashion. Uh, we are constrained, that means compelled, by outside forces, and I, I'd go so far as to say inside forces, genetic forces, we are constrained and compelled to act in particular ways. Our, our freedom is, I can't think of a, a truly free expression of will. It doesn't exist. Many of my likes and dislikes are influenced by my family of origin at just the most basic level. So the notion that free will exists, I think, is a falsehood as it is defined broadly in culture. It just... Everything from the color of my skin, I didn't get to choose it, to my birthday, I didn't get to choose it, to my parents, to my siblings, just on. And the the influence that they had on you. The weather today, Mm -hmm. I I can't think of a truly free, volitional act. It just, so it, I don't think we're serving ourselves or our children or our culture well pretending that free will exists. Are we volitional? Yes. Are we truly free? Never. Secondly, (laughs) I would say that we also make a categorical mistake in that we, we act as if all choices are of equal weight. My choice to skip breakfast this morning is not of the same category as the choice I made to marry Sherry. Are you following me? Mm-hmm. So why would we think that the choice about being born again is, is like the choice where we'd go to college or, or whether or not to open another bank account? Or, mm-hmm. In other words, you're hard-pressed to find truly free actions. I can't think of one and would love for someone to point one out to me. It doesn't exist. And number two, not all choices are equal, such that some choices aren't available to us, and some are keenly available to us. Anyway, and it, it's not available to us to decide to be born biologically. Mm-hmm. And according to Jesus in John 3, it's not available to us to be born Again, spiritually, that decision is not available. We participate just like we participate mm-hmm. in our biological birth. John hit it on the head. So, yeah, I think the the we we could spend a lot of time talking about this. Um, I think the danger. I agree. You know, full sail with what you're you're saying. I think the danger is thinking then that we have there's no there's no spectrum of choice at all in our Christian lives. And there is, there's, there's choices all throughout it. You know, we aren't these, um, 
sort oh, of we're frozen. volitional. Yes. We have choice. Totally. We right. have will. Right. It's get, just not free it, as popular culture yeah, thinks free, it is. Free is, is probably the distinguishing. We do have will. We do have choice. And we make choices, you know, all the time, whether to participate or not participate in the kingdom of God. Right? I mean, it's just period. It's true. I'm making a choice right now whether or not, <laughs> right. you know, how I'm going to participate. And so in, in an effort sometimes I feel like to sort of honor God more, we sort of try to remove the idea of choosing from the Christian life. Does that make sense? I, I, maybe it's just the circles I've run in. It is. Like I mean, if you're you Dutch in, Reformed history. Yeah, if you stood in the pulpit and talked about choice in the church, <laughs> you were like, <laughs> murder the man. You know, you just... <laughs> right, heretic. But, right? right, but you got to be really clear that, like, when you leave the church and choose to watch something with your eyes that's pure filth, you've made a choice. Like, you, in that moment, chose not to do what Jesus told you to do. Yeah, yeah. So there is a category of salvation that is categorically different, right, than it the is. rest of our— To be born again, to right. be justified is, is a decision God makes for us. To be sanctified is something where our volition is more—it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. In fact, Augustine had four categories. It, they're pre, you can look it up. Human nature in its fourfold state by Augustine. So— Anyway, <laughs> so the second part of the question was this person's question was talk to me about salvation. So I think we've covered that. If you have more questions on that, I know you've you've got some writings in your yeah in the we um, beat it to death yeah following Jesus book and some other places. The second part of this is also in our daily lives. Can you help me? So this idea of we talked about justification. So we're justified, but then there's this process after justification that is called sanctification. It's sort of this this building us up and. Re- um, making us more holy, and this is done through our, more of our participation with the Holy Spirit in becoming what God wants us to become, so that at the end of our lives, when we're glorified in heaven, presented as the bride of Christ, right, the church. Um, and we'll actually be rewarded, according to 1 Corinthians <laughs> chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3 will be rewarded for those decisions we make in, in the process of sanctification, which comes after justification. So in that sanctification process, we've got many choices. That this, these are the day-to-day choices that we make. We choose not to, get, not to share what's really going on in our lives with our small group. We choose not to confess our sin. We choose to watch filth instead of something that's edifying. We choose all these different things. And that is the—it doesn't mean that we're not going to heaven. It, it, once you're justified, you're justified. It doesn't mean that you, you're going to be unjustified. It means that your sanctification is... I am my father's boy. Yes, totally. I have what kind genetics. of boy I'm going to be, right. and right. if I'm going to truly honor my father, that's my choice. Yeah. And so I can choose to resist the Holy Spirit. Even once I'm saved, I can choose to resist the Holy Spirit in my life. I can choose to not listen to him. I can choose to turn up other things in my life, and I'll hear those things much more clearly than the Holy Spirit. So, um, you know, it's important to recognize that, that there... And, and that's in, in large part what I was talking about on Sunday towards our application is what are we fixing our eyes on? Yeah. Um, what, are we, what are we doing with um, our own spiritual eyes so that we're seeing more of the light of Christ? Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Now, some people might hear what you were talking about, uh, that there's no free will. Uh, well, at least that there's no, um, like you are influenced internally, externally to make certain decisions. And some people may hear that and say, well, then why would God hold me? Why would I be culpable, right? Like, how would you respond to that? Well, I would respond to that, that that Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God made everything good. Humanity made a decision, of which I'm a part, to, to rebel. And now I'm affected. I was born, Ephesians chapter 2 said, I was, I was born in a spiritual state of rebellion, no one had to teach me to sin. It came very natural. And so um, I'm, I, am, I am not free as popular culture describes it. That freedom does not exist. I am influenced uh, by the friendships in this room in a very positive ways. But they're very, and so I am responsible for the decisions I make. And I'm influenced. I don't know why that's, yeah. uh, you are right. 
people will ask that. How can he? Right. How can he but, hold me accountable? But. And I'm talking about after someone say, is, to, is, is moving along in say, sanctification. To say that I'm not free, and that is what I'm saying, free will does not exist, as defined in popular culture. To say that I'm not free is not to say I'm a robot without any choice. Right. I am not free and I'm culpable because I do have volitional power. I do make decisions that are both godly and ungodly, and I'll be rewarded for the godly, and uh, judgment would be for the ungodly. So, yeah, decisions I make. So, yeah, but I, I think you're right. People ask that: How can I be held accountable if I'm not truly free? And I, I want to say I, I don't know what world we're trying to create for ourselves. <laughs> right? We don't do ourselves any service when we describe the world as we want it to be rather than how we experience it. Right. Mm. I feel like what, what you're saying is um, you're not implying that um, I, I don't have the power to choose something. You're just saying I, I'm a fool if I believe nothing is influencing my choice, that mm -hmm. I'm making a that choice totally, to do something 100% totally on my own, yeah. completely free. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Good. Job Good. team. All right. Well, that's all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the Next Level Podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him, and our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us. You had a free-willed night. And thank you, <laughs> listeners, for tuning in to the next level. Prophecy.